Amen. This morning, I want to invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 21. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. So listen to the word of the Lord. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. He threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. They got out on land. They saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. They said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of his disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, uh, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is 
the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did where every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. Uh, We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. As we look for a few moments at this passage of Scripture, at this chapter in uh, John, Lord, I pray that for a few moments we might just be able to reflect upon Uh, your resurrection and what it means for us in our lives as your people. As we look at these stories, Lord, I pray, look at this story, I pray that you would teach us from your word as all of us, even the one speaking, sits under the authority of your word, Lord. Would you do that work in us by the power of your spirit? Would you transform us? Would you renew us? Would you conform us into the image of your son? And our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. While the resurrection of Jesus is out of this world in terms of the miraculous nature of the event itself. It is very much in this world in terms of the implications for our life uh, as the people of God. What Christ did in conquering the grave has meaning for our life in this world even as we wait for the life to come in the new heavens and the new earth which his resurrection has made a reality. What Jesus does in uh, these seemingly mundane interactions with his disciples in John 21 around fishing and eating and walking with one of his disciples bears powerful testimony that the resurrection isn't something to be celebrated simply as a miraculous event that happened thousands of years ago that we get up for on Easter Sunday. The resurrection isn't meant uh, to provide simply an emotional high for a couple of hours on Sunday or a few days on the yearly calendar from which we are so often filled with the lingering odor of death. No, the resurrection is for the Monday mess. Amen, people of God. It's for the seemingly mundane events of everyday life, events which are so often filled with the lingering odor of death. The resurrection is for people who are weary from working long hours only to see little to no fruit for their labors. The resurrection is for failures, folks who have blown it. It's for folk who have denied their Lord not once, not twice, but three times. The resurrection is for the unfavored, people who were once on nobody's list, whom God through his son has made VIPs in his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, the resurrection isn't just for today. It isn't just for Sunday. It is for tomorrow when you wake up and find that your kids are still in rebellion. It's for tomorrow when you wake up and your job is still frustrating and difficult. It's for tomorrow when you wake up and your neighborhood is still violent and broken. It's for Tomorrow, when you wake up and your relationships are still damaged and painful, your own heart is still doubting. The resurrection is for every day. Jesus wants the power 
of the resurrection to empower you to be witnesses, to power, empower us to be witnesses in this world and in all the circumstances that living in this world present to us. The challenge for us is the same as it was for the disciples, to learn how to follow the resurrected Lord, trusting Him to bring resurrection life to the areas of our life where resurrection is needed. The disciples who were going to be witnesses to the resurrection needed to experience the impact of that resurrection in their own circumstances if they were to be faithful witnesses to the world around them. And you and I need to experience that resurrection power as well, in much the same way that the disciples did, if we are to be faithful witnesses to the resurrection in our day. In other words, brothers and sisters, the, the resurrection can't just be an event we celebrate. It can't just be something we get up for on this day. It has to matter in the everyday experiences of our lives. It must be a power that we experience in our lives, a power we experience because Jesus really did get up out of the grave, really is alive, and really is working the power of that resurrection in us. That life is in us through the power of the Spirit of God who is also in us. Amen, people of God. So we need the resurrection this morning in a number of ways that this passage lays out for us. First of all, we need the resurrection to enable us to bear fruit. We need the resurrection to enable us to bear fruit. Listen again to verses 1 to 6 and 9 to 12. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, uh, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of, Galilee and, uh, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but, they, uh, but, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, no. He said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. When they got out on land, verse 9, they saw a charcoal fire in place and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Simon Peter uh, went aboard, hauled the net to shore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there, was, although there were so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now one of the disciples, dared, not, not one of the disciples, dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And so Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. How many of you have labored long hours at something only to have the end of those labors turn out to be fruitless? How many of you have labored long hours at something only to have that labor turn out in the end to be fruitless? If you've been there, then you know uh, fruitless labor can leave you weary. 
frustrated and hopeless. I remind you that this is not the first time the disciples have toiled all night to catch fish only to come up empty. This is, in fact, the second time in the gospel narratives that the disciples have had their labors of fishing come up short. Now, if this had happened only once, they, 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 we may have called it a coincidence twice, and we, we got a little, bit of a, a little bit of a pattern going on. So, so what's going on here? What's the message being conveyed here? Well, I'll remind you that each time the disciples have come up short in their labors, at the command of, their, of the Lord, their fruitlessness has turned into fruitfulness. You may have missed that, so let me say it again. Both times, at the command of the Lord, their fruitlessness has turned into fruitfulness. And given the call that the Lord has placed on His disciples to bear witness in the world about Him, this lesson is an extremely important one for them to grab a hold of because they're not being called out into the world just to catch catch fish. They're being called out into the world to proclaim the good news of the gospel and catch men, that is, bring men and women and children to faith in the Lord. Brothers and sisters, our labors in the Lord are not in vain, and they're not in vain because the resurrected Lord is with us, and He has promised to bless all that we do in Him. And the reason Jesus performs uh, this miracle for a second time and invites His disciples to a breakfast that He has both prepared and provided for is to remind them that their fruitfulness in this life isn't a result of their efforts, it is a result of His blessing. We aren't fruitful in anything because of who we are. We aren't fruitful in any of our ministry labors because of who we are, because of our own strength. We are fruitful because of the blessing of the Lord. Your labels, labors will not ultimately be in vain because they do not rest ultimately on your zeal, but on the favor of the Lord and His zeal to bless the work of your hands for His glory and for your good. Check the narrative and see the disciples are invited to partake in a breakfast that they neither provided for <laughs> Are prepared. In the same way as we labor for the Lord in this world, we're invited to rest, actually, in the knowledge that God will ultimately take the work of our hands and bless it for His good purposes. We don't have to know all the ways that, we, that He will do it, but we can rest in the truth that the resurrected Lord will take our labor, even the ones that seemingly have not borne fruit, and use them for His good purposes in our lives and in the lives of others. This is why the Apostle Paul can say in 1 Corinthians 15, after speaking at length about the resurrection, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And it's not in vain, not because of who you are. It's not in vain because of the resurrected Lord and His commitment to bless the labors of your hand. Amen, people of God. So where are you feeling fruitless as you try to serve the Lord in this life? Where do you feel like you've been fishing all night and caught nothing? I want to encourage you this morning that the answer is trust. It's trusting the Lord by continuing to do what He commands, even when what He commands doesn't appear to bear immediate fruit. Let's continue to love 
people when those people are doing the most unlovable things. It means trusting the Lord, walking alongside people in crisis, even when the situation appears to be headed toward a disastrous end. It means providing comfort, a listening ear, wisdom, and the like. I, I, I can name other situations, but the point is trusting the Lord enough to do what He says, even when you think it will not bear fruit. Let down your nets. Why? Because the Lord is not unfaithful. (laughs) The resurrected Lord will take the labors of your hand, and He will bless them as you labor for Him in this world. Whether it is life in you or life in the situation, the Lord is faithful to His promise to bring life out of death. Maybe it's not the circumstance that the Lord will resurrect, but you as you serve Him. Often we go into circumstances thinking that the need for resurrection applies mainly to those we are trying to help, when in truth, it's often the case that the Lord wants to work resurrection power in your life, that He wants to resurrect you from your doubts, from your fears, from your worries, from your lack of trust. This is an important lesson for the disciples, and it's an important one for us. We aren't just called to preach about the resurrection. We, are, we need the resurrection to be at work in our own life. That's why the disciples are invited to come and eat breakfast by the shore with Jesus, because they also need His resurrection power to be at work in them. Amen. We need it. We need the resurrection power of Jesus to enable us toward fruitful labor, but we also need the resurrection to enable us to overcome our failure, to enable us to overcome our failures. Listen again to verses 15 and 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep, he said to him. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. We not only need the resurrection for fruit, fruitfulness, we, we, we need it in overcoming our failures. How, have you ever blown it with God? Don't raise your hand. That's a rhetorical question. I already know the answer. <laughs> you ever failed to walk in righteousness in your relationships with the triune God? If you have, then you know that that failure can leave you embarrassed, self-doubting, and even ready to quit. When asked a third time by Jesus if he loves him, we read this, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus' threefold questioning about Peter's love for him no doubt took Peter back to his threefold denial of the Lord. Perhaps Peter is thinking now, has my failure forever stained my relationship with the Lord? Does he now view me only in terms of my failures? Am I now reduced in his eyes, valued less by him because of my sins, because of my failures? Peter was grieved, no doubt, because he was viewing Jesus' question in light of his own failures. 
He had listened more closely. Had, had he listened more closely in the moment, what he would have heard was anything but what his heart was pondering. Rather than pushing Peter away, Jesus is actually drawing him back to fellowship. He restores Peter through his threefold command to feed his sheep. I, 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 I want you to think about this. If Jesus puts the well-being of his sheep, a sheep for which he has bled and died, into Peter's care, what does that say about the Lord's heart? toward Peter. Peter was supposed to be Jesus' ride-or-die friend. Some of y'all know what that means. Don't worry about it. <laughs> he, he had professed as much to Jesus, telling Jesus that he was ready to die for him. Yet when the time came, Peter didn't ride, and he also didn't die. <laughs> he denied Jesus on three separate occasions. And yet Jesus, in his love for Peter, doesn't cast him away, but restores him and gives him the responsibility to shepherd his flock. Even though Peter had not followed through on his promise, Jesus followed through on his love for Peter, going all the way to the cross for him. Yeah, Peter, you did blow it, but you're still my guy, and I still have work for you to do. Feed my sheep. I want to tell you this morning that in the eyes of the resurrected Lord, you are not viewed in light of your failures. You are viewed instead in the light of his faithful love toward you. Peter belonged to Jesus, and so do you if you have faith in him. And the resurrected Christ is not here to condemn you and your failures, but to lift you up out of them, to restore you to fellowship with himself and with his people, even when you have blown it. I'm telling you that every human relationship, I'm not telling you that every human relationship gets fixed in this life. I'm not telling you that everything gets repaired. I'm telling you, though, that with the Lord, failure is not ultimately the lens through which he sees you, it is his faithful love for you. It is his faithful love that colors the lenses through which the resurrected Christ views you. His commitment is to restore you to himself and to lift you up out of your failures and give you newness of life. Amen, people of God. So where have you experience failure? Where, where have you blown it in life? Where have you sinned in thought, speech, and action in a way that has damaged your relationship with others? It can be easy after failure to believe that Jesus is done with us, that his view of us will be forever changed. Yeah, I know, I know he still loves me, but perhaps not to the same degree he did before I, before I blew it. Perhaps now he will set me aside. And of course, Satan gets in there and magnifies those feelings of being diminished in the eyes of the Lord. The challenge, brothers and sisters, is not to believe our own testimony or the testimony of the evil one or the testimony of this world. Rather, it is to believe the testimony of our Lord. It is to believe the word of the living God. It is to believe the testimony of Jesus who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And oh, by the way, those words 
were spoken to a group of disciples who had all fled. Who had all fled during the darkest hour of his life as he endured the shame and disgrace of the cross. You have to choose to believe what the Lord says over your own testimony, over the testimony of the evil one, over the testimony of this world. So I'd encourage you in your failure, in whatever area it is, to do what John commands us in another place when he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen, people of God. We need the resurrection. We need the resurrection power of Jesus to enable us to bear fruit. We need the resurrection power of Jesus to enable us to overcome our failures. We need the resurrection power of Jesus to enable us to serve. Listen again to the last part of this story, beginning at verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, Jesus is still speaking to Peter, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show what kind of death he was to, by what uh, kind of death he was to glorify God. Now, after saying this, he said to him, follow me. But Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You, you follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers about this disciple that he was not to die. And yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? We need the resurrection uh, for the fruitless places in our lives. We need it for our failures. We need it to enable us to be servants of the Lord on behalf of others. How many of you have looked at another, uh, looked at God's work in another person's life and wondered why they had it so good and you seemingly had it so bad? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Just say, hmm. If we're honest, many of us have probably had those moments where we look at where we are in a particular season of life and think, why does my life stink and those folks' lives seem to be so intact? Why is chaos always swirling around me while others seem to be always at rest? Peter had yet to experience all that, Jesus is all that Jesus forecast about his future. Yet it was clear from the Lord's words as they walked by the Sea of Galilee that Peter's future included suffering and martyrdom on the behalf of his Lord. And so Peter, ever the one to speak his mind, turns to Jesus and is like, what about this guy? What's going to happen to him? And because I believe this is John, it's kind of like, what about John, man? What about John? Why is it that my life will end in martyrdom and he gets to live forever? You've never looked at anybody else's life and thought that, right? 
Everybody here is good Christians. Jesus responds to Peter by saying, if it is my will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And what's important to note here is that it wasn't just Peter who had a problem with Jesus' words about John. We read, read in the text, so the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. So you can imagine, given this rumor, that the other disciples were also taken back about the announcement concerning uh, John. Now, John wasn't really going to escape the trial and tribulation of living life in this broken world. He was going to have his own suffering, hardships, his own challenges. What's at heart, though, uh, what is at the heart of the disciples' complaints is what is at the heart of their argument during Jesus' journey to Jerusalem when they had argued among themselves about who was going to be the greatest. Who was going to be the greatest? And here we are again, just days after the greatest act of God in the history of the world. And what do we have? We have the disciples complaining that John is being favored. How does the resurrection speak into that situation? How does the resurrection speak into our divisive hearts, raising us from the death of division and jealousy and the like? It's through a simple phrase that Jesus gives to Peter. Follow me. You follow me. How does Jesus squash the complaining? How does, it, uh, he, how does he squash the complaining? He does it by reminding the disciples that the path to resurrection life is the path of servanthood. You follow me. You see, the invitation to Peter to follow him isn't an invitation to keep up with him as they walk along the beach. It's an invitation to follow Jesus in his footsteps in terms of the pattern of Jesus' own life. Peter, you do what you have seen me do. You follow me. You live as you saw me live. Serve your brothers in the way you saw me serve. Rather than competing with John and the others, lay down your life for them. Follow me, Peter. It's as if the Apostle Paul, it, it is as, uh, what the Apostle Paul says when he urges us in Philippians 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. You want to experience the power of the resurrection in your life? You experience it by following Jesus by willingly laying down your life as well for your brothers and sisters. Amen, people of God. So where is God's call to servanthood most present to you right now? Where are you feeling God pushing you into a deeper commitment to being his servant? For some of you, that's in your relationships and your friendships. Perhaps you're realizing that you haven't really been serving as much as asking others to serve you. You haven't been laying down your life for them as much as you've been asking them to lay down their lives for you. Perhaps in some of your relationships, bitterness and envy and rivalry has begun to show up because, all, uh, uh, because each is seeking his or her own good rather than the good of the other. Peter and John uh, clearly had some beef despite the fact they were a part of a core team within the discipleship group, or at least appeared to be so from the gospel narratives. 
How were they to squash that? By learning to follow Jesus in his servanthood, by being servant themselves to each other. Amen, people of God. So maybe it's with your spouse, your friends, your neighbors, that you actually need to learn how to follow in Jesus' footsteps and be a servant on behalf of others. It comes, resurrection power comes as you serve. When you do so, the Lord comes alongside you to breathe life into you so that you can help others. Amen, people of God. (laughs) He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. And that just isn't a phrase that's spoken on this special day when we celebrate what Christ did when he got up out of the grave. The resurrection is for us today. It's for us tomorrow. It's for us on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's for every day of our lives in all the seemingly mundane places of our lives where we learn how to live in that resurrection power of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is for us to enable us to bear fruit. The resurrection is for us to enable us to overcome our failures. And the resurrection is for us to enable us to serve. Amen, people of God. May God give that to us here at New City. May he breathe that resurrection power into us and through us. May he breathe it into into this world around us. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. We thank you indeed for the good news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord, from the dead. We thank you that that resurrection has meaning for our lives, not just today when we celebrate his resurrection, Lord, but it has meaning for our lives every day in every situation that we find ourselves in. We know that you are the God who, through this power of your Spirit, will breathe life into these mortal bodies, that we might indeed bear fruit, that we might indeed overcome our failures, that we might indeed serve you in everything we do and say. We pray and ask this for ourselves, and we ask it for our brothers and sisters throughout this city, and we ask it for our brothers and sisters across this world. Breathe resurrection power into us, Lord, that we might be your witnesses in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.